Hello, this is Father Don Farnan. Upon This Rock, a podcast uh, that uh, I, along with family and friends, have been bringing to you and glad to do it. It's a wonderful time to talk about matters of faith and faith that matters to us in our modern times. I want to note that that wonderful music that you're hearing in the background, intro and outro, is provided by some Kansas Cityans, uh, Chris Accardo, Josh Batts. I think John Amatelli may be on there as well. This particular song is from an album called Sometimes Three, a song called Already Home. Mr. Cardo headed out to California where he's making it uh, pretty big, and uh, now some of the, the band members will play around town together. You'll see them in Brookside or Waldo or down at Knuckleheads or other places. It's great to have them and a little local flavor for the music of Upon This Rock. I'm coming to you solo today. I want to talk to you about one of the devotionals of the Catholic Church, that of the Rosary. And the reason I want to talk about it is because in speaking with Catholics, those that grew up in in the last century, they really seem to think that that is about as formative for them as is the Catholic Mass and community life. It seems like the Rosary was something that united their own family and united them with other families as well. Some of you might recall the story of Our Lady of Fatima that happened around the time of the First World War ending. Blessed Mother Mary appeared to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. At that time, after the war to end all wars, there was a a great desire for peace on earth, and the message that peace depended on us and our families and starting in our own homes. And we were to pray for the conversion of Russia, and we were to pray for the conversion of all of those who did not believe, and uh, turn the world to consecrate it to God. The rosary became very important for many of us growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's kind of faded away a little bit, Uh, but I wonder if it might be something that is worth uh, reviving. A devotional is something that brings us closer to God. Uh, The rosary, the one that I'm talking about today, is is one of many. Some of you know that during the Lenten season, the Stations of the Cross probably becomes the most important of devotional as we walk uh, with Jesus on his final walk, as we look at uh, all the things that happened to him that are indicative of the good and bad that happens to all of us. Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is another famous devotional. It usually begins or ends with benediction. That is the good word. And then we focus upon the monstrance and the Blessed Sacrament that is kept there, a time for us to spend a time with our Lord. The Divine Chaplet, the Nativity Crash in the season of Advent and Christmas, Centering prayers. There are a lot of devotionals, but we'll just focus on the rosary today. Rosary comes from a Latin word, rosario, which means rose garden. Kind of a a beautiful thought for us as we look at uh, the joys and the sorrows and the glories of the mysteries of the rosary. John Paul II in the late uh, 1990s included the luminous mysteries where we look at the light of Christ pervading upon the joys and the sorrows of this world and always pointing us to the glory of the world to come. The idea of a rose garden is something that ties in beautifully with the mysteries. It points to the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, at least in our Judeo-Christian history. That's where we believe that the world began. And we look at the joy of creation And then we move to the Garden of Gethsemane 
at the pivotal point of history, of our salvation history, Christ in the world, God coming into the world and finding no place in the world and sacrificing himself for the sake of the world and in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's dealing uh, with those sorrows. As uh, we think about maybe meandering through a rose garden, we see the stem, the joy, the the little buds coming up, but we know there are also thorns on on the roses, the sorrows. Uh, It also points to the beauty of the full flourishing of the flowers and the glory that awaits the glory of the, the, the final garden of course is the garden of paradise and the heavenly kingdom and it does indeed uh, look at that idea of sharing in uh, the ultimate grace beyond this world's joys and sorrows into the glory that awaits we meander through that much as we would meander through a rose garden People will often meander through their prayers or the beads of the rosary. And sometimes even people will come to confession and say to the priest, Father, I've sinned. My mind has wandered when I was praying the rosary. Well, our mind is supposed to wander when we pray the rosary, just like we're wandering through the beauty of, of the garden. But as our mind wanders, we ought to invite God to walk with us. And wherever our thoughts are going, wherever our feelings are taking us, to ask God to walk with us as we move through those joys and sorrows, the challenges of daily life. The rosary beads, of course, are are pretty important to us. We spell B-E-A-D, but it uh, comes from the Anglo-Saxon word B-E-D-E, which is the ancient word for blessing or for prayer. So each bead is a prayer. It's a mantra prayer. You know, Sometimes people also say that the rosary separates us from other religions and isn't a very ecumenical thing. It's something that really separates us. But I I do want to mention how the rosary and the beads really unite us because it's a part of a, a, a greater prayer that so many religions have. As we think about the season of Lent and uh, down in New Orleans at the big uh, parade and the, the carnival and all the beads that are tossed out, uh, that prayer for um, Lent begins with ushering in of Mardi Gras fat Tuesday. And the, the fat, of, of course, is because we're getting rid of all the lard and all, all the meat, all the things that we, we don't need. We're entering into a time of, of prayer and fasting. Well, the carne, of course, the carnival that takes place uh, down there in some other places, it means it's a time to get rid of the meat. That's what carne means. And when we have the parade, we're throwing out all these beads and the beads often are multicolors, but you see a lot of them that are purple and green and gold. And even that kind of points uh, to the mysteries of the times of the year. Uh, green is the symbol of hope and, and joy and ordinary time that we're leaving at Mardi Gras. Purple is the symbol of penance, uh, the color that we see uh, during the season of Lent. And a gold that points us uh, to the glory of the Easter season that awaits. Uh, so even those beads probably didn't seem like it for most of us as, as necklaces, but uh, also they're a reminder for us to pray. But as we look at world religions, I just want to mention this as a significant thing. The Hindu religion claims to be the oldest of all religions and probably is. In fact, they would say it, it really had no beginning and will have no end that it has always been a part of us. It doesn't have that sense of a story like we have in our Judeo-Christian history of Adam and Eve, but rather it has a sets of principles that have been around uh, forever. 
going back as far as historians can take us, about four or 5,000 years ago, Hinduism uh, was here. Probably started in the region of Pakistan and moved to India, where it's probably most prevalent today. And Judaism also has been around for over 4,000 years. Abraham and the patriarchs were around about 1800 BC. Before that, Noah, and before that, Adam and Eve. So it goes back quite a ways. As we look at other major religions, we'll see that Buddhism rose up about 500 years BC with the first Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, and the principles that he looked at. So that would have also originated in the area of India, though today we think of Buddhism more in the regions to the far east of uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Japan, and other areas. All of these religions had beads. After Christianity, of course, 2,000 years ago, uh, Muhammad and the Muslim religion arose about uh, 1,500 years ago. They also prayed these beads. The Muslim religion have quite a dedicated time to Mary. In fact, the Quran mentions Blessed Mother Mary more than our Bible does. But but the beads of the of, of the Muslims would be a little bit different from ours. Ours really did not become prevalent until much later. Saint Dominic, who lived in the twelfth thirteenth century, is noted most for making it a common practice for us. And then at the Protestant Reformation that was usually associated with Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, an Augustinian priest, had an incredible devotion to our Blessed Mother. You see that lived out in many of the Protestant churches, but especially in Lutheranism. But the beads of the earliest community, the Hindus, is called the Mala, or sometimes the Japa Mala. That word comes from Sanskrit. It basically is a reference also to prayer. There are about 108 beads on the Hindu rosary bead prayer. I don't claim to be an expert in any world religions, but it seems to me that numbers are always very important. 27 is an important number in that religion about the basic principles, 27 principles that guide us and might connect us to the world and to astrology and the world that is above as well as the world below. And 27 times four going to the four directions, the four winds, or before we realized that the earth was round, the four corners of the earth. So it's a reference to all of humanity. The Muslim religion would have the beads also, and their number is 99 or sometimes even 100, in the 99 names for Allah, sometimes the prayer that is prayed is the Allah Subhan, which is a reference to our praise of Allah, giving glory to God, Allah, exaltation. It's just a mantra, a prayer that is repeated over and over again, 99 times. In the Catholic Church, we have 150 beads on our rosary, though as you examine your rosary now, you probably see closer to 59, give or take. But as we look at the 50 Aves and 50 times 3 for the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, correspond with the one psalms of our ancestry and our Judeo-Christian tradition. Many of the Jews in Jesus' time would have actually memorized those psalms. It's hard to imagine that. Some of them were literate, some of them were not. 
But even the illiterate people would have been told these psalms over and over again. It would become a part of their own lives, their prayer life, much like we, through rote memory, will learn a lot of our Catholic prayers. So the 150 psalms correspond to the 150 prayers because the psalms are looking at the joys and the sorrows, the gamut of emotion that exists in this world, and pointing us to the world beyond. The Catholic mantra that we offer, and again, St. Dominic, who really brought this to the forefront about the same time that St. Francis was bringing another devotion of the nativity scene, or the creche, and some of these other devotionals came about, it was really at a time in which the hierarchical church, which was very literate, the, the popes, the bishops, the priests, the nuns, the religious, they would have read these dictates, and they would have had these dogmas, and they would have had these rituals, and they would have told the common people in the hinterlands how to live their faith. But most of the people in those regions were illiterate and didn't know how to work through some of this stuff. So you get people like St. Francis and St. Dominic who were mendicant preachers, and they would go from town to town and village to village, and they would help the people to understand and bring these things to life, like the story of the incarnation through a nativity scene, or to alert the people to say, well, you don't need to read all of this stuff, all of these doctrines, just like you didn't need to read and memorize all of the Psalms, but we ought to still be united with them and pray with them. So through that mantra, St. Dominic suggested to the people that they start to use their prayer beads, their rosary beads, and meander through the joys and the sorrows of this world and point to the world beyond. There are essentially three sentences in our mantra, so it's a little bit longer than what the Hindus or, or um, Buddhists or Muslims would pray when they're going through their prayer beads. Ours point to the incarnation of Christ. So the first sentence is from the angel Gabriel, who says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. The first mystery of the rosaries is essentially the Annunciation, and it's a focus on that prayer. The second mystery of the rosary, also in, in the joyful set, is the visitation. That's the second sentence in which we pray of that Ave. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb where the first sentence was said from heaven by the angel, the second sentence was said by earth by Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who was the first human to recognize that she was in the presence of God. But if you remember this story, of course, it was the unborn child, the prenatal baby who kicked her at that time, who woke her up to that, who leaped in her womb for joy. And so it is that great joy by which uh, Elizabeth was awakened to understanding being in the presence of God, but it was really the unborn child that told her that. And so that second sentence of our mantra, our Ave, comes from Elizabeth and John the Baptist, her son. The third sentence the, uh, of the rosary prayer, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, that was actually added many centuries later, so it wasn't a part of the rosary prayer or the Ave. If you may remember some of your history, Mary, Mariology or Marian devotions came about 
basically in the third, fourth, and fifth century and became a part of the, the church's general understanding of what our doctrine is, that Mary is not just the Christotokos, we say the bearer of Christ, but the Theotokos, the mother of God, the bearer of God himself. And so we give her that great devotion and great honor. And so in the uh, prayers that priests and nuns and others pray who make a devotion uh, daily for the gamut of emotions of the world, that is the joys and the sorrows of our existence, in praying the Psalms, what we call today the liturgy, the hours, or sometimes called the office, or sometimes called the breviary, we offer those uh, prayers, those psalms. And it may not be our feeling, my feeling uh, today may not be the psalms that I'm reflecting, that I'm praying, but I realize that I'm praying with and, and for the universal church. And so the gamut of emotions that is offered is the prayer of somewhere in the church that is needed uh, at that time. Well, in, in the same way that, that that third sentence calling us to devote ourselves, as Mary did, in self-surrender, she did that at the first story of the Annunciation, where she said, let it be done to me according to your word, even though it was impossible. But the angel said, nothing is impossible to God. And she said, then I surrender myself, what we call the fiat, her assent to God's will, her yes. And she offered that yes over and over and over again even to her final breath, what we call the assumption of, of Mary in the United States. A lot of the countries call it the dormition of Mary, meaning that she rested. She had done all that she was commanded to do here on earth. She closed her eyes and offered her final surrender. And in, in doing that, of course, she, she is the model for us that the entirety of our lives that we offer our fiat, our assent to God's will, and then at our final breath, at the hour of our death, that we will give our final surrender to God. Well, I hope that that's helpful in learning a little bit about the rosary. Rather than something that divides us from other churches, I think that it strengthens us in our relationship uh, to other churches, other religions, other cultures. Also, it is a continual reminder to us that we are in relationship to God, to one another, and those relationships are found here on earth. A mother's love for her son, a son's love for her mother, parent and child. And of course, as we pray the rosary, we know it is creator and created, that we are in relationship with our heavenly parents, and that that strong relationship it is one that will help us in every relationship that we have. So the rosary is a way for us to walk closer to God through Mary, the mother of God, to meander through the joys and the sorrows of this world, whether they are so grandiose, so complex, so incomprehensible, like the conversion of the world and those that don't believe, or if it's something that's very intimate to us, as my own mother spent a lot of time on her knees for the sake of her children, and uh, each of us are, uh, have things in our daily life that we pray for, our loved ones who are suffering, and those that are uh, challenged, those that are, are dying, we bring that mystery to our daily living. So that is the prayer that will guide us. If you'd like to learn more or uh, talk out about the rosary, I'd certainly be glad to do so. There are certainly many parishes around the city and beyond that gather daily to pray the rosary in church. So I wish you well in your prayers, and let's pray for one another and ask the good Lord to be with us. I'll conclude with our Ave. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.